0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And this week we're talking about memory editing. And if this were your average science-y journalism story, Mm -hmm. it would inevitably start with a reference to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You know, have you have you noticed this trend? Like any story that relates at all to changing memories or erasing memories, they will name drop that film in the lead.
1: Well, cuz it was such an intriguing idea it that was. you could uh you could alter or completely remove a memory that had been dogging you your entire life.
0: Yeah, it's true, but I you know, I feel like there have been enough stories about like Changing memories and 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 what memories actually are—that we don't need that film as the reference point anymore for a, a, an actual story about the science of memory and the science of altering memory. Uh, I always feel like a little bit insulted, you know. It's, it's mm-hmm. like that someone's like, "Hey, so you've you've seen? Uh, let me tell you about space. You've seen Star Wars, right? Like you don't have to start with Star Wars. We live in a world we're surrounded by space, so All right, all right. So trip.
1: I think, and maybe I'm projecting my own feelings on here, is that the problem is that this spotless mind. I idea is it's erroneous and it, it, mm. um, it takes this idea that you could like return your mind to some pristine platonic state right yeah. where everything is completely new and fresh but that is not the case. Our minds are the cages that we have but it turns out that we can actually tame them to a certain degree we can't erase we can't make them spotless but we can make them a little bit more manageable. The problem is just just this inherent misunderstanding of what memory is in the first place. And I was looking at this survey that was published in 2011 by PLSO1 that found that almost two-thirds of Americans believe that memory works like a video camera uh. and that it's like we're recording events so we can review them later.
0: It's interesting. Not that, so. Yeah, it's not so at all. And we've we've discussed the science of memory um, a good bit in previous episodes. I'll have to make sure I throw some of those uh, back up on the uh, the website and on the social media pages around the time this episode publishes. Uh, but indeed, we've talked uh, for uh, before about the. The Seven Sins of Memory. Uh, These, of course, were uh, uh, brought to mind by Daniel Schachter, the uh, former chair of Harvard University psychology psychology department and author of the book, The Seven Sins of Memories, How the Mind Forgets and Remembers. And he mentions uh, these seven, just seven ways that all our memories are uh, untrustworthy at the very least. Uh, For instance, there's transience. So that's the weakening or loss of memory over time. Mm What do you have for lunch? eight years ago today?
1: A uh, no pastrami idea. sandwich wow, okay. with a side of sweet potatoes, the cumin... Uh, sprinkling on top.
0: Okay, well that was a really good sandwich apparently, so that one stuck with you. But for the most part, these me- memories just fade over time. It's just how it works. Uh, then there's absent-mindedness. Uh, so and this involves attention in memory. We're just not mm-hmm. paying attention to what's going on around us, so we're not getting all the, da- the data. There's blocking. That's the failed attempt to recall tidbits of memory, a face, a name, etc. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember what it is. Uh, there's misattribution. This is when we recall an authentic memory, but then aspects of it are misattributed, and this includes scenarios such as incorrect t- incorrect time or place, identity uh, misattribution, or mm-hmm. confusion over the originator of an idea. We've all had those conversations where you're telling a story about something that you think happened to you, and it turns out is happening to the person you you're you're speaking to, or you you have some. Very pivotal detail of the story completely backwards. Like, oh, that trip, that wasn't a trip I took with this person. It was a trip I took with this person. Mm-hmm. It wasn't this past girlfriend. It was this past girlfriend or, you know, whatever the scenario might be. And then there's suggestibility. Uh, our minds are and our memories pastrami are, are entirely susceptible. Yes, to to, uh, to suggestions. So if you, you were to get it say, for lunch, if you were to say it enough times, I might either actually get a pastrami sandwich for lunch mm-hmm. or falsely remember that I had one. There's bias. Uh, and that you see this all the time in people's uh, uh, memories of crimes. If they have a particular bias in mind regarding, uh, uh, say, the uh, the racial profiling of suspects, mm-hmm. then that's going to have an in- influence on how they remember the, c- the crime that occurred. And then there's persistence. And that's the unwanted recall of information that's disturbing. And that actually ties in a lot with what we're going to talk about in this episode. So there are all these ways. That our memory is pretty much jacked from the get go, and to your your point, so many people think it's just uh, all a bunch of video information stored in our head, uh, which which couldn't be uh, further from the truth.
1: Yeah, there's that great uh, cognitive uh, psychology experiment that was done by Daniel Simons and Christopher Chabris that showed how selective attention works. You probably heard about this. There's um a video of people with white shirts on and a video of people with black shirts on and they were playing, I think, basketball or something like yeah,
0: that. Yeah, I watched it, but I really wasn't paying that much attention.
1: Okay. Well, then you, if you were, if you were doing it as, as they instructed, you were probably looking at the, the white shirted team, right? You were mm-hmm. told to really figure out how many passes were made between the, the members of this white shirted team. And you probably, as 46% of the participants did, did not notice the gorilla walking through <laughs> the clutch of of white-shirted and black-shirted oh, yes, seen this, yes. players. So this is a good example of attention and selective attention and memory.
0: Yeah, there are a number of these type of uh, pranks uh, that you see uh, carried out, and uh, that you can find them on YouTube. Ones where they'll take, say, uh, an individual will be sort of in the background mm-hmm. uh, for a person, and then they'll like switch out the person playing that part yeah. to see if they notice. And it's yeah, it's phenomenal how how often people do not notice. Um, there's a British television series called uh, Black Mirror which we've uh, mentioned before, Mm -hmm. and there's an episode titled The Entire History of You. And in this uh, near-future sci-fi vision of reality, most people have this little electronic device called a a grain implanted uh, uh, in in their brain. Mm -hmm. And it basically collects constant video of their life. And then you can go back and replay the video. Uh, which of course ends up having disastrous um uh, consequences for the uh, characters in this particular episode but it's it's very interesting that model because they they in in this episode they create a sci-fi technological version of memory that is in keeping with the with the way most people think memory is
1: Right. And in fact, it's not. As yeah. you, as you said, there are seven sins of memory. And really, if you think about it, we are the magicians of memory because we have misdirection and misperte- misperception. Mm-hmm. And then we try to piece together this pattern that makes sense to us. And boom, you have this manufactured reality that comes out on a plate for you. Um, and the thing is, is that we continue to take this memory out and look at it all the time. In fact, Every time you take out a memory, you change it a bit.
0: Yes. Yeah. We, I've, we mentioned before that don't think of your memory as a little stone sculpture that you keep in a drawer. Mm-hmm. It's a sculpture made out of clay. Every time you take it out, you're jabbing it, you're changing it, you're bringing new information, new interpretation into that memory, and then you put it back. And so, so every time you draw it out, you're, you're, you're changing, you're getting it a, a little bit further removed from the actual reality.
1: And here's the thing. These memories, are the foundation of the story of who you are, right? Yes. And so this is where emotional health and something called story editing comes in because there's this idea that you can change your memory and maybe even alter your future. And we'll get more into that. But before we do, want to discuss a little bit about why we take these memories out in the first place and sort of obsess over them. And in order to do that, you got to go to Papa Freud.
0: Yeah. And it's great because in classic Freud style it goes right to your childhood, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, Freud actually documents his grandson's particular habit of taking his toys and hiding them or throwing them away. And when he does that, um, his grandson says, Fort, meaning gone. Mm-hmm. And then he watches his grandson um, taking them back and saying, Duh, they're here. So in this one particular instance in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, uh, his grandson has, like a, I think it's just like a reel with a string tied to it, uh-huh. and he's in his crib. And over and over again, he does this Fort Da game. He throws that spool away, and then he reels it back in. And so what Freud says is that the kid is actually um, marking a cultural achievement here, because the kid is equating this, and just stay with me on this, okay. uh, the, the, this Fort Da that's gone and back with his mom. And his mom leaving him but coming back and saying that he's getting far more pleasure from the da part, the coming back part. And so he's mastering control over his emotions at his mother sometimes disappearing or having to leave the room. Huh. And this idea that, that, you know, that your, your main caregiver might not come back or come back.
0: That's, that's a pretty fascinating uh, interpretation. And in, especially since uh, the, the father of a, Nearly two-year-old who's really into uh, that—the whole casting of objects—and then also playing hide and go seek with uh, like a stuffed cat that we have in the house. You know, really loves to to go. Where's where's fat cat? Where'd fat cat go? Oh well, fat cat's under the slide. And then it's you know tremendously uh, um, entertaining to him to find the cat that was barely hidden.
1: Yeah, so this is a huge lesson for humans that life is ephemeral. Mm -hmm. Things come, things go, people come, and people go. And uh, this really ties into the idea of repetition, compulsion, and mastery. And maybe, just maybe, that's why we continue to take out, uh, in particular, traumatic memories, bothersome memories. And we look at them and examine them over and over again, each time hoping to get a better understanding. But the problem... Is that, it, and especially according to Freud, those memories are unconscious. They are buried and they are hidden. And so you just kind of get these little crumbs of your unconscious. But then you have someone, uh, by the name of T- Timothy D. Wilson. This is a University of Virginia psychologist who says that this unconscious or non-conscious, as he calls it, is off limits to us. So it's really only through conscious thoughts that we can change the mechanisms of the unconscious world for us. Hmm. So he has this idea of, uh, for instance, if you establish regular acts of kindness, that you could tease out progressive changes in behavior as determined by your unconscious. So now we're talking about changing your behavior through your story of yourself. Ah, uh, Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, and this is what uh, this is where everything really gets interesting here because essentially we are getting into that eternal sunshine of the spotless mind territory. But instead of changing your memories through the use of lasers or or a little bit of or a little uh, tiny electronic device that goes in your brain, uh, as in Black Mirror, it's about thinking about it. it's about using your actual mental um, architecture as it exists, your actual mental machinery uh, that you have in your head and using it to alter memory using the the weakness of memory as a strength really.
1: Yeah, and it's really effective as we will discuss. Um Wilson in his 2011 book Redirect the Surprising New Science of Psychological Change looks at why programs like scared straight, you know, the mm-hmm. the taking the at risk uh, youth to prisons and trying to scare them straight, why those sort of programs fail and why story editing, just having those kids change their story, their narrative, may be a far more effective strategy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've been reading a little bit about this, uh, too, in regards to children, like the, the dangers of labeling. Um, particularly, I was reading an article on uh, on biting and about how just the, the one thing they always advise is in dealing with biting, which mm-hmm. which is a, a pretty common occurrence with, with children, uh, especially as they're acquiring language and learning how to better express uh, themselves uh, than by simply, you know, biting into something is that, but there's a, there's always this danger of referring to them as a biter because mm-hmm. then that becomes their story. And they can interpret, interpret that even at a very young age and they say, oh, well, I'm a biter. So I bite in the same way that one might think, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm destined to wind up in a, in a prison. So I guess I will, this is the, this is what I am. I guess that's what I'm going to be.
1: Well, you know, that's interesting because, um, this is, that is exactly it. This, this idea that you, you put this narrative in place and then you follow it to the letter and you become it. And Wilson first discovered this, uh, power of story editing in the 80s when he found that struggling students had fallen for the same old narrative. I'm bad at school. Which was driving this sort of self-defeating cycle. And he gave 40 students, these students who were not doing well in school, a new narrative, Mm -hmm. which was everyone fails at first. Okay, so that recasts the whole idea. Wait, what? Um, I may not be bad at school. Everyone fails at first. This is a thing. Mm-hmm. So suddenly the students are being introduced to this new idea. And he had the students read accounts from other students has, who had struggled with grades and then improved. There was also videotape footage of other students who relayed their tales of eventual academic success. And the results were pretty astounding. The students who received the information compared to those who did not, A, were significantly less apt to leave college by the end of their sophomore year. B, they had a significantly greater increase in grade point average even one year after the study. And C, they performed significantly better on sample items from the GRE or the graduate record exam. And this is all from a 30-minute session, one 30-minute session, which had staying power even one year after. And this just shows you how important priming is, really. And I was thinking about this 1999 University of Michigan study. In this study, they had students with the same abilities and perform its splinter into two groups. The first was told that men perform better than women on math tests. The second was told that no matter what they might have heard, there was no difference in abilities among the two genders. Then they were given the math test. And in the first group, men outscored women by 20 points. In the second group, the one that was told no matter what they had heard that the abilities are the same, they were outscored only by two points. I mean, that's a huge difference. And no. that's just from that one priming example.
0: And indeed, stressing the point of thinking for yourself and questioning authority, not questioning authority in the sense that I'm going to you know break a law just because it's there, but questioning the established script that is handed down to us about who you are what you are what right. you're capable of achieving and in uh, yeah there's just something uh, you know, almost endlessly powerful about being able to to sort of break free of those chains
1: yeah i mean if think about it like in in um some of your most um uh how should i say it the delicate situations in life mm-hmm. where you were really struggling with someone or something if someone came and gave you a script mm-hmm. Or, or just even the, this this idea, this other narrative of hey, a, another perception. How could that have changed your life? That's how powerful this is. Yeah.
0: Now, an- another area that this becomes important uh, again. You mentioned earlier how, arguably, a lot of this stuff is going on into subco- some subconscious level. Mm-hmm. There's, there's say a, a bad memory, uh, a scarring memory, a traumatic memory, even that is is that keeps popping up again and again. This persistent memory, and. It's, it's kind of like a Rubik's Cube, but not a Rubik's Cube that you ever sit down and, and say, all right, I'm going to sit down and solve this thing. Mm-hmm. But it's one that's just always sitting on your desk or is in the drawer that you're always opening and it's there. It's, it's, it's seemingly unsolvable and, uh, and you may tinker with it for a minute and then put it back.
1: You're and, right. So you're, your mind is, is tinkering with it mostly at the unconscious level, but every once in a while it surfaces yeah. and you become aware of this thing that's bothering you. Yeah.
0: So it just it's this persistent, um, Bit of annoyance or, or even, uh, you know, just nagging depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime we, we cover a topic like this, I always think back to, uh, Alan robe 1957 novel, Jealousy. And it's a, it's an experimental novel. Um, I, I don't recommend picking up and reading it unless you, you know, what you're getting into just style-wise because it's, uh, it's a little unorthodox. But the entire novel is this, this man who owns a banana plantation and he's looking through Venetian blinds, observing his wife, and trying to figure out if she's having an affair with uh, the the guy who runs the neighboring banana plantation, mm-hmm. and and so it's just him pouring over what he knows and how little he knows over and over again, uh, and occasionally observing a smeared centipede on the wall and trying to decide what he should do. And the, in spoiler, the entire novel uh, passes, and he doesn't decide what he's going to do. It's just this just this endless nagging frustration. Over how little he knows, and now, and and that's kind of what happens in these cases. We have limited amount of information. It's kind of like the the the, the, the Cox snowflake that we talked about mm-hmm. in our snowflake episode. There's only so much information you may know about a given situation, and unless you actually were to go outside of that bubble of knowledge, um, you, you're never going to solve it. So, so again, these these problems, these memories, these uh, they just exist there uh, in the uh, in the peripheries and uh, and it's only through actually tackling them that we can alter them into a shape that fits in and kind of vanishes into the background.
1: Okay. We're going to take a quick break and when we get back we are going to talk about how you can actually get outside of that bubble of knowledge, change your narrative and perhaps change your life.
0: Alright, we're back. Uh, Julie, have you read The Secret?
1: Uh, The Secret?
0: The Secret, the one with the little, uh, like the red wax seal on the cover.
1: Uh, no, is that, uh, is that a new novel?
0: No, it's like a, you know, the self-help thing, right?
1: Oh, is this the thing about like if you put a, a positive vibe out in the world, someone will give you a million dollars?
0: I think so. I, I have not read it myself, so I'm not privy to the actual secret. But I understand that that's basically the secret that if you uh, you put out that positive that's energy, things will. Come. I think it is. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. But it kind of uh, gets into the same area that you see with a lot of self help books, and it's the idea that if you if you believe in something, mm-hmm. you can make it real. That you can you can change yourself or even change reality through this strong sense of belief and positive vibes. And uh you know to a certain extent there's often a lot of uh kind of new age hokery going on in that. But as we're going to discuss here there's also this core of reality as it comes to to our ability to manipulate memories.
1: And in this case, it's not necessarily believing in your narrative. It's understanding your narrative. And again, Mm -hmm. this is why that memory keeps knocking around and saying, hey, look at me. I'm flagged because I'm important. I don't quite understand what's going on here. This is troublesome for me, right? Yeah. So there's this other approach to uh, story editing, and it is to write and then rewrite your narrative. James Pennebaker of the University of Texas has pioneered a really expressive writing technique that helps people recover from past traumas by helping them reframe and reinterpret those events. And uh, there's a, a link that uh, if you just search for writing and health, some practical advice, you will see this prompt for writing. And the idea is that for four days in a row... 15 minutes each you take a topic that you uh, that's been bothering you uh, that you really want to explore more about and you just write about it and you write really as honestly and uh, as fully as you can
0: yeah and now what would you write about uh some of the examples they give would be to write about something that you're thinking or worrying about too much so Mm -hmm. like maybe you're worrying about you know Taxes coming up, and having to you know, settle down and figure those out, or uh, you're something that you are dreaming about. Say you wanted to actually do something about that nagging dream where you uh, forgot that you signed up for a class uh, in uh, in school until uh, right at the end at finals, you know, or mm-hmm. the, or the, the you know the wearing underwear or nothing to your math class kind of dream. Uh, other uh, possibilities to write about include something you feel uh, is affecting your life in an unhealthy way be it uh, something uh, you know like a personal habit or something outside yourself or something that you have been avoiding for days weeks or years tackling it 15 minutes a day for 4 days in writing form.
1: Okay, so it's interesting because what happens is that the first time you write you will might write the thing that's bothering you and you mm-hmm. might touch on the thing that is actually the thing that's bothering you. Because most often when you think that there's a topic that that's really the problem, there's an underlying issue. And so returning to that issue four days in a row, it gives you more insight. You're peeling away the the layers of the onion of, of that actual problem. And in the process, you're creating some sort of understanding for yourself. You are reframing that narrative so that it makes sense. If something bad happened to you in your past, and it keeps coming up again and again, writing about it really forces you to reflect on it and not say, oh, this was justified, it should have happened. That's not what we're saying here. It just gives you more of an understanding of why it happened. And hopefully, you know, people suffer less as a result. That's the idea.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because uh, if anyone who's ever engaged in any writing, you see versions of this, say, in... Trying to create poetry, like any kind of poetry that has like a personal um, uh, bit of uh, energy to it, and mm-hmm. I feel like most poetry of any worth does. But one of my poetry professors in uh, college, I remember them saying, and this wasn't like a, a cross the board rule, but they 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 tended to imply that you're generally better off removing the first four lines or so of your poem because the first four lines of your poem are you trying. To write what you think you're going to write about, mm-hmm. and then after you get past those first four lines, then you start writing about uh, what's really going on. So, uh, so the, the first four lines are, in in this case, are the thing that you think you're afraid of, and then you begin to get after that into what you're actually afraid of.
1: I think about it as the quick and dirty way to psychoanalysis. Yeah, yeah, because the and I'm not going to share with you what I wrote about because that would be like revealing a dream, and everybody would get bored. But I can tell you that when I did this, uh, you know, it it was about this one thing that I thought it was about. But really it was about social rejection. Mm -hmm. And then it became like, well, what are are my relationships like in my life? How has this colored this? And when did this happen? And when I was a teenager, was it like this? And we've discussed about the teenage brain and about how social rejection is processes actual physical pain. And maybe these things stay with you and so on and so forth. In those four days, I got a lot out of this one tiny little thing that I thought I was bothered by, huh. that I couldn't figure out why I kept dreaming about this thing. And that is really a very effective strategy at trying to get at your memory and trying to recontextualize uh, your, your narrative in your life.
0: And ultimately, perhaps solve this re- Rubik's Cube or... Create a solved Rubik's Cube out of these memories, and then you can put it on the shelf, and it's not going to bother you anymore. Uh, when we were uh, prepping for this one, we brought up the whole uh, situation of why does why does it bother us so much when we overhear part of a conversation? Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before. Uh, the, the reason, supposedly, is that you're not getting all the information about the scenario, and your mind desperately wants to make sense of this nugget of yeah. weirdness that you just uh, uh, listened in on. And that's what some of these memories are like. That we're our mind wants to understand why did this happen to me? Why why am I afraid of this? You know th- these questions linger with these troubling, persistent memories. Our brains want to figure out the puzzle. They want the extra information to make it make it lock to make the Rubik's cube uh, uh, clear out. Uh, and uh, and what these experiments are about are about you know, taking the time. To fill them out and to and to add the, the, the necessary information to make them whole.
1: Yeah, and that's why these why these writing prompts are, are so effective. Now Wilson says a third approach is the do good, be good method. And it's the principle that our attitudes and our beliefs follow from our behaviors rather than precede them. So if you want to change your narrative, then you should change some of the things that you do so uh-huh. that it sort of informs your unconscious like oh, I'm a good person and I volunteer here and I'm doing this and you know I'm trying to cultivate the following traits in my life yeah and everything else should follow
0: well and then I mean also that uh, in my opinion often has the the added benefit if you are if your your problem is that you're too much inside your own mental space mm-hmm. if you start concerning yourself with other people mm-hmm. then you're getting out of that that uh, that self-inflicted cage of self a bit so, and it win is win. the cage
1: of self, really, yeah. really. Um, so, why does this work? There, you know, there's no definitive like it's it's doing this. It's engaging the following parts of your brain. Probably, this is the best guess is that it works because again, you are completing that picture for yourself. So, your mm-hmm. brain, if you if it doesn't have to red flag a memory because it understands it in the context uh, that you've put it into the narrative and it's happy with that, it can move along and go to the next thing that you flagged in your brain. Yeah. So that's the idea of why it works.
0: Yeah, I guess you just need to make sure you form the correct, you know, uh, a helpful uh, finished version of that memory. So, like, if I was concerned about the guy about a hot dog from yesterday being grumpy, yeah, like I would want to frame that in, in the, the form of, well, he was uh, he was probably having a bad day and just took that out on me, rather than I'm a bad person and therefore hot dog vendors are mean to me. They are, generally. Yeah, yeah. Like they,
1: I don't know if you know, but they have a little slip that they circulate among them that says Robert Lamb. Robert, yeah. Yeah. Alright, there's a great article called Revising Your Story by Kirsten Weir and, uh, she says basically if you, you doubt the story, um powers here in these story prompts. You should look at this um, example by researcher Daphne Bignital at the University of California Santa Barbara. She works with parents who are at risk for child abuse and she added some story prompting to home visits of parents with newborns. And the prompt involved getting parents to reinterpret why their babies were cranky or difficult. So parents, for instance, might blame their baby- babies and say, oh, he's just trying to provoke me. hmm so the home visitor would ask parents if they could think of any other reasons prompting them to attribute their baby's behavior to situational factors. We're talking about, like, maybe you didn't burp him enough, so on and so forth, giving them a different narrative. And among both a control group and those who participated in this program, about 24% of the parents physically abused their children. Now, in the group that got the story prompt, giving them these, these other versions of why their babies might be acting the way they they were, their percentage dropped to 4%. Hmm. That's, again, how powerful it is to replace one narrative with another.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Now, this flows in nicely to this idea that Carol Dweck presents, this idea of fixed Versus growth mindset. Do you want to lay that out for everyone here?
1: Yeah, we've talked about Carol Dweck before. Um, she she is a psychologist who has talked about the praise paradox. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this idea that empty praise can, can give your child this sort of self-esteem problem. You yeah. think the opposite. You think if you're saying, hey, you're doing great, that your kid's going to have tons of self-esteem. But really, empty praise isn't constructive. And anyway, it builds up this whole idea that your kid is, might be doing something wrong. Carol Dweck kind of goes a little bit further into this idea of self-esteem and um, success. And she talks about how some people have a fixed mindset. They believe their intelligence and traits are set in stone. And this actually gets in the way of how they see the world and they move through it. And she said that these people, they typically try to, to look smart um, and not make any mistakes. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they don't take any risks. And now she says, on the other hand, you have something called a growth mindset. And this means that you're willing to change your narrative and cultivate new ideas and talents through effort and instruction. So in this way, you see, obviously, there's a flexibility. There's this willingness to say, I don't have all of the information and I'm going to change my story. And she says this allows people to be both more resilient and vulnerable at the same time and able to take on more challenges and just kind of, like I said, change that narrative of what uh, you want your life to be.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a really interesting way to look at two, two types of people, you know, the idea that am I looking at myself as I am now as the finished product, you know, or am, or is it an ongoing journey? And that's kind of, I mean, I guess that kind of sounds a little new agey and and hippy dippy, but, but really, I I mean, life is a journey. We continue to change. We're always changing physically, emotionally. The person we are now is not the same person we were uh, a month ago, a year ago. And, and so if you, if you try and approach your life, as a fixed object, yeah, you're just going to run into in- increasing uh, frustration because you're going to come up against challenges. And if you if you think that this is what I am and this is all I am, then a challenge is an affront to your strength. But if you see yourself as changing and you see yourself as perpetually evolving, then a challenge is just another opportunity to grow.
1: Yeah, and she says that some people have fixed mindsets. For, for some of the things in their life mm-hmm. and then growth mindsets for for other things well,
0: that's, that's a good observation yeah,
1: yeah so it's sort of one of those self-checks of well you know am i flexible in this one area of my life and inflexible in the other but the main thing she says is that things do not come naturally and that thinking that they do is a male adaptive mindset a maladaptive mindset in that we we are looking at it entirely wrong
0: and i can't help but think of the stories that we consume, that we feed, feed on, you know, to, to inform who we are and how we fit into the world. Uh, because there are certainly, we can think of any number of, of movies, TV shows, stories, myths, in which there's an individual with a natural talent. And then how healthy is that to, uh, to absorb that story and then compare it to our own?
1: Well, I mean, you know, it's the Matrix, the one. Are you the one? Were you born the one? Yeah but then that idea is very old and has been perpetuated for 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 thousands and thousands of years
0: yeah and i think it's ultimately why we you know, we want a film where it, or we want a story where a hero has to work for it uh, where a hero has to has to actually uh, go through a training montage in order to defeat the villain, because that's more in keeping with life. You're going to have to work for the things that you achieve.
1: Well, and not to keep going back to Star Wars, because I feel like that's been the theme today. But Luke Skywalker, <laughs> right? He Didn't yeah. just fall out of the womb? You know, with the Force, he he had to work at it. And Yoda uh, made him look a fool over there in Dagobah.
0: Yeah, he lost a hand.
1: Yeah. He did. Made it, a lot of the characters Went lost a hands.
0: Really dark. Did, did they?
1: How many yeah, lost hands. If you go through, my again, my daughter's encyclopedia, <laughs> you'll see, you know, so-and-so had their hand repaired. Blah, blah, blah.
0: Oh, well, yeah, there's Luke. There's Vader. Yeah. um, Some dude in the bar in the first one got Qing his Kong hand
1: King Kong Jin, though. maybe? I don't know.
0: Hmm. I think he just got run through that one. I'll
1: ask my daughter okay. when I get home.
0: All right. Well, there you go. Uh, story editing. I, I think this is a great episode because it really lays out a very achievable way to... Uh, to to do something that uh, might otherwise seem like something out of science fiction, a way to change our memories, to change the way that we interpret the past, um, and uh, and so I challenge uh, you know anyone who uh, is is dealing with uh, with some sort of problem in their life to consider trying this out. You know, don't see it as you know your only solution, but uh, but give it a go and see what uh, what can be done.
1: Yeah, and if you again, you want to check out that story prompt by James Pennebaker. Uh, just Google his name and then perhaps writing and health some practical advice.
0: All right, well, let's call the robot over here and do a quick bit of listener mail. <laughs> All
1: right, we have a quick one from Alex. Uh, he says, hello, Robert and Julia. I hope your day is going well. I've been a listener of Stuff to Blow Your Mind for about four months. I loved your podcast so much. I even went back as far as two years ago and listened to your your podcasts. Uh, first off, let me thank you for being so respectful when you talk about cultures and religions. This personally means a lot to me. I am not religious really, but I am very aware and sensitive when talking about religion or culture. I also have a topic for you guys. Are sociopaths slash psychopaths biologically and neurologically doomed? Is there any hope for these unlucky people born this way? Is a sociopath psychopath, the ultimate apex predator of our species? I think this would be a really interesting study to say the least. And, uh, uh Alex goes on to say, thanks for your time. Keep doing what you do. Thank you, Alex. That is very interesting because we talked recently about how Louis C.K. has a bit
0: mm. in his
1: stand-up about how we're really lucky that we got out of the food chain. We are the apex predator now. We don't have to worry about it. But, you know, one another, we're sort of a problem. We know that we tend to maim and kill each other. And then there's this idea, psychologically, is is someone who's a sociopath who has no community ties a lack of empathy a predator in a sense hmm.
0: yeah that's uh, certainly a topic we could explore i know there were uh, for certain there were at least a couple of really interesting um, studies to come out on sociopaths uh in the uh, in the past year uh, that uh, that i'd love to podcast on at some point in the future
1: indeed yeah so maybe that will show up fairly soon
0: All right, so there you have it. Uh, If you have anything you would like to add on this topic, on other topics, then you know where to find us. Go to stufftoblowyourmind.com. That's the mothership. That's where you'll find all the podcast episodes, all the videos, all the blog posts, all the lists, all the galleries, uh, and links out to our various social media sites, including Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. And Julie, if one wanted to get in touch with us uh, in a more old-fashioned way, where would they find us?
1: You can send your narrative to us at blowthemind at discovery.com.